Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we get to worship you without fear, and we get to gather here together to worship you. Lord, you are worthy of all of our praise, and help us to fix our eyes upon you today and incline our hearts towards you. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us powerfully this morning through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Saints, uh, please do uh, grab a seat this morning. So, we're beginning a new sermon series, and it's in the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, and so do turn with me if you want to grab a Bible from the chairs in front of you. Um, and we're going to be looking at the first seven verses. They're also going to appear uh, on the screen. But um, should you want to avoid uh, looking at me at the same time, please do follow, feel free to, to follow it in your uh, church Bible. So here we go, 2 Timothy. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Amen. This is God's word. So, uh, as if the Royal Mail hadn't been busy enough with the challenges uh, of uh, delivering all those Christmas cards, they were once again put to the test this week, particularly postal workers in County Atrium in Northern Ireland. Now, the sorting office in Balamina received a letter, and instead of the usual letter with the name followed by address, it did have a name, the name was Fergal, and this was what was written as the address. It says, <coughs> to Fergal, who lives across the road from the spa, his ma and pa used to own it. His ma was Mary and his pa was Joseph. Two quite biblical names there, really, wasn't it? Um, he moved to the waterfront after he got married. He plays the guitar. He used to run discos in the parochial hall and in the hotel in the 1980s. He's friends with a filler who runs the butchers on the waterfront too. Cushendale, BT44. So, as you can imagine, a bit of a challenge for the postal workers. Uh, but believe it or not, one of the guys who was in the Silverton office knew immediately, even on the first sentence, who the letter was for, because he actually went to school with Fergal. His name was Fergal himself, a small world, I'm sure. 
One of the, the, the guys who actually asked Fergal in the sorting office, do, do, does anyone know this guy, um, actually replied, well, you know, I also feel like I know him too. His whole life story is on the front of this letter. So what did this mystery letter contain? Well, nothing more than two recipes for coleslaw and one for kale slaw, whatever kale slaw might be. I'll leave that to you to guess. Well, today we're starting a new sermon series, and over the next six weeks we're going to be looking at another letter. We're going to be looking at a letter of two Timothy. And similarly, uh, similar to the letter delivered to Fergal this week, the letter to 2 Timothy contains a number of personal touches. And we catch a glimpse of who Timothy is. We catch a glimpse of his life story and what he means to the Apostle Paul. And in the opening verses, uh, not so much his pa, ma and pa are not mentioned by name, but his mother and grandmother are mentioned by name, Eunice and Lois. And we read how Paul regarded Timothy as a dear friend. We're going to learn a lot more about Timothy as this letter progresses. But unlike the letter delivered uh, this week, the contents of this letter to Timothy is is of huge importance to each and every one of us today. Much more value for any recipe, no matter how tasty it might be. Now, we've heard how the letter to Fergal was addressed. Now, let's look again how this letter to Timothy was addressed. Following the protocol of the day, first, the sender's details are noted in the opening verse. It says this, who's the sender? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And then it says who this letter is to, to Timothy, my dear son. Now, in verse 8, Paul describes himself as a prisoner. And in verse 16 to 17, both, both of the, all these verses we're going to be looking at next week, we read that he's in chains and he's in chains in Rome. And if you put this together with the timeline that we read in the book of Acts, uh, it becomes clear that this letter is the last letter that Paul wrote. It's his final letter. In chapter 4, we read that Paul has already undergone a preliminary trial and, uh, and he's awaiting now his full and final trial and his death seems inevitable. We know that at the time that this letter was written, the persecution of Christians under the, the emperor Nero was in full swing. And what church tradition has, and it's likely to be correct, is that Paul, within a couple of weeks, was condemned to death and beheaded, as would have been the custom for a Roman citizen at that time. We've got the third century historian, Eusebius, and he quotes uh, the, the previous diocesans of Corinth that both Peter and Paul were both martyred on the same occasion. Imagine that day. Imagine that day in Rome when Paul is beheaded and Peter is crucified upside down, as was his request when he faced the death sentence. Not only was the church being assaulted horrendously from uh, outside forces under Nero, we also know that the church at this time was, uh, was being assaulted from the inside out, that there was a rise in heretics from within, they were being attacked from within. So, for instance, we read in First 
15 about the Asian apostasy that was happening at this time. And Paul says, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Bishop Hanley Mole writes that at this time that this letter was written, he writes this, Christianity trembled, humanly speaking, on the verge of annihilation. Heretics from within, persecution from outside, Peter and Paul martyred on the same occasion. This is the letter, this is the context in which this letter is written in. Paul is facing almost certain death. He's got days left to live. And what we have here in his often skimmed over book is Paul's last will and testament to the church. And not only is this his last will and testament to the church, it's a very personal letter to a dear friend and someone who would become a key leader of the next generation Timothy. And to give, if I was to give a, a title to the theme of this letter, it would be this. Paul is encouraging Timothy and the church at this time to be courageous, steadfast, and strong. And they needed to hear that, didn't they? They needed to hear, be courageous, steadfast, and strong. And so this is the title of our new sermon series, Be Courageous, Steadfast, and Strong. Because the theme of this letter is equally relevant to us today in 21st century Maidenhead. Jesus is calling us to be courageous, steadfast, and strong. And we might not at this time be facing actual execution underneath Roman persecution, but as followers of Jesus, we constantly faced opposition for standing against the zeitgeist, the tidal wave of our age. And not only do we face opposition from without and disparagement from without, the heretics within continue to try to take down the church from within. And we have to be alert and wise. And we need to be uh, careful uh, about what we listen to and what sorts of teaching we take in and, and the books that we read. And that's why sort of we, we lament quench disappearing from our high street because you know, we need to be careful about the sources that we take in. Are they sources that we trust? And it has been the case, not only since Paul's day, as Bishop Hanley Moore was talking about, it's been the case every single generation until ours that the church has always been on the verge of annihilation. Because if we do not pass our faith on to the next generation, the church will end with us. And sadly, we see this in churches across our nation, that they, 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 they get on with the, the busyness and the urgency of what needs to be done, and they forget the importance that, that if we do not pass on our faith in the next generation, the church will die out with us. And that's why we will continue to invest in the younger generation. Um, yes, all ages are important, but we will not allow the church to end with us here. So this is a message for us here as a church in Maidenhead. As we make our way through this tumultuous time, we see it now. We're emerging from a global pandemic. You know, the church nationwide, the Evangelical Alliance says that the average church is down to about 40% of what it was just two years ago. This is how much it's rocked the church at this time. And we are called to be courageous, steadfast, and strong. But the question is, why bother? 
You know, what, what, why bother? You know, we are all busy people after all. You know, so what if Jesus isn't high on our list of priorities? You know, we've got a lot of things going on. Life is busy in 21st century Maidenhead. We've got many things to juggle. And surely, um, as is often the uh, uh, quoted uh, verse that, that the world is really happy to lap up, John 10.10 says, Jesus came to bring us life in all its fullness. Jesus came to bring us life in all its fullness, you know, but the message of Christianity cannot simply be watered down to a simple, snappy slogan that Jesus just wants us to be happy, and Jesus just wants us to be, you know, nice to people. You know, that isn't what the gospel is about, We misunderstand the gospel if we think that Jesus just wants us to be happy and live fulfilled lives. That that life in all its fullness that Jesus promises is much more than just a balanced life and a happy marriage and an active social calendar, you know, and a holistic lifestyle full of, you know, sports and music and reading and theater. You know, if this was what Jesus meant when he promised life in all its fullness, then we have to say that two of the biggest failures of being Christians were Paul and Peter because they didn't have that life in all its fullness. They were imprisoned and they were executed because they chose to follow Jesus. Even when facing certain death, what did Paul write? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, He understands that somehow in God's mysterious plan, his life being, we believe that he's underground at this time, there's a little hatch for him to see light through. You know, this isn't a nice little house of rest at this time. He's properly in chains at this time. He's facing execution. He can somehow say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And what's he say then? When faced with death, he says, according to the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus. Faced with death, Paul opens his letter with the promise of life that is in Jesus. Because what is at stake is far more than whether we live a happy and fulfilled life. What is at stake is our eternal destiny. And in Jesus, we have the promise of life. Now, one of the, the, the parts of my roles as parish priest here, an Anglican parish priest, is that um, now and again, um, I get phone calls from people within the community. I'm either asked to visit their homes or asked to visit them in hospital. Um, and, um, and we don't know these people. And I get invited into these situations because they're basically facing their last few hours on earth and they want to speak to a vicar. And often is the case, they've never really ever been to church, but they're, they're faced with the reality of death. And they're afraid, and they're afraid. And they, they asked me, and just this week, just on Friday, I got a phone call to, to go out and to uh, visit someone. Um, and I sat in that room alone with this person who was, uh, who was basically unable to really speak, uh, really struggling for life. And I was just aware that in that room, what hung in the balance, the promise of life. You know, was I going to be able to articulate in a way that this person could understand the 
good news of Jesus? And would she, in her last breaths, be able to accept that gift? That's what hung in the balance. And we need to grasp the importance of this gospel, that following Jesus isn't just about a a, a holistic lifestyle. We have Pilates on a Tuesday, we have choir on a Thursday, we meet our friends on a Saturday, and we go to church on a Sunday, and then, you know, somehow, you know, it's just part of a, a, a nice, healthy lifestyle. Following Jesus is of far greater importance than that. It's whether we're accepting the promise of life that is found in Christ and whether we will offer that promise of life to others. And this is why we run Alpha so regularly here. You know, I want to run it all the time because I don't want anyone to miss out on the promise of life. And I personally run Alpha because it's a priority because I do not want to see anyone miss out on the promise of of life. And I don't want to say, well, run one a year because, you know, what happens? What happens if that, if that opportunity goes missing? And so, you know, nothing more important than that. So, so your friends, your family, your work colleagues need you to invite them. And I know it's difficult to, to extend that invitation. I've been there plenty of times myself. Just this week, I was, you know, chatting to, to, um, uh, to, to someone, you know, and, and I was like, oh, you know, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? And, and when those fears arise, we need to challenge ourselves to do the loving thing. Do we love them enough to invite them? Or do we just sort of love ourselves enough? And actually, what we prefer is, is not to face sort of, you know, risking the relationship or not to be faced thinking of as a weirdo. Do we love them enough to invite them to Alpha? Well, this is just um, uh, uh, verse one, and I was planning to spend much more time on the other six verses. So what can I say in our remaining time together this, m- this morning? Well, I want, to fo- I want us to focus on the person of Timothy and the influences in his life that made him the person that he was. And I want to draw out from these seven verses, or these six verses, uh, four influences in his life that are clear, from this passage, and the influences, these same influences influence our lives, and we can influence other people's lives in these ways. And the first way that put Timothy is influenced is by his upbringing. So, in verse 5, it reads this, <clears throat> I have been reminded of your sincere faith, says Paul, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in in you also. To this, I want to say, do not despise the ministry of grandmothers. Do not despise the ministry of grandmothers. Here we see that Timothy's grandmother and mother played hugely important roles in the shaping and making of Timothy. Timothy had been raised in a home of faith from his very earliest years. If we skip over to chapter 3, we read, from infancy he had been exposed to the Holy Scriptures, which at that time would have been the Old Testament. So Timothy had been immersed in Scripture. So when Jesus arrived on the scene, Timothy, his mother, and his grandmother, all devoted uh, uh, Jewish followers were able to embrace the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ just means the Messiah, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. 
And it's also worth noting that Timothy himself was actually a son of a mixed marriage. So in Acts chapter uh, 16, we read that his mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek and thus presumably an unbeliever. And so if you're a single parent, because the scholars, some scholars believe that at this time, you know, basically Timothy's mother was widowed. So if you're a single parent or if you're an only believer uh, in a home, then a child can still be led to faith by your teaching, your example and by your prayers. And I know that many of you would have been hugely thankful for being born and raised in a Christian home, for that is a blessing beyond measure. I know this is uh, one of Emma, our children's, ministry, our children's minister's uh, central passion. She is a passionate advocate for parenting for faith. And she would say to you, we cannot expect any child to to, to pick up faith just by bringing them to Sunday school every week or every couple of weeks. You know, just by giving them a, an hour's exposure to Sunday school. We are hugely thankful for those who give their time uh, in Sunday school and, uh, and midweek to help them. But actually, the most, infor- the most formative environment for a child is always their home. And this is why uh, Emma runs Parenting for Faith courses and herself is a speaker for the organization and and travels to different churches to speak on the issue of parenting for faith and when we talk about parenting for faith we don't limit that to parents it's anyone and everyone that has a role in a young person's life so this can be godparents it can be friends grandparents uncle aunties All these people can parent for faith, and all these people are formative. Just like it wasn't, you know, just Timothy's mother, it was his grandmother. They could have said, you know, uh, Timothy's mother's friend or Timothy's auntie. You know, we all play a vital role in passing on the gift of faith to the next generation. So, Timothy was shaped by his uh, upbringing. Timothy was also shaped by his friends. After our families, it is our friends that influence us the most. Paul was one such dear friend to Timothy. And in many ways, uh, Paul saw himself as a mentor, a teacher, as well as a friend. So my, my challenge to us all today, and the challenge to myself, is who are we investing in? How are you having a positive influence in someone else's walk with Jesus? Who could you ask to draw alongside you, to pray with you, that you might spur one another on in love and good deeds? Who are you accountable to? Who are you open to having those honest conversations with? Who can you, to to gently and lovingly challenge you in your relationship with Jesus? So our upbringing, our friends, the third influence uh, that shaped and made Timothy as a disciple were the gifts that God gave him. Now, Scripture teaches that every follower of Jesus has been given gift or gifts to serve with. And in verse 6, we read uh, Paul reminding Timothy to fan into flame, what? The gift of God, the gift of God that he has received. So each person not only, is not only what they owe to their family, not only what they owe to their friends and mentors, but also what God himself has given them in terms of spiritual gifts. 
And that's our third. And finally, our fourth influence in the shaping and making of disciples, the shaping and making of Timothy, was Timothy himself. It was Timothy's self-discipline. You see, all God's gifts, whether they are natural or whether they are supernatural, need to be developed and used. I was talking to our uh, children the other day uh, about sports. I was probably taking them to, uh, to one of their teams, and I was asking them, you know, what do you think is the most important factor? A player's natural ability or how much they're willing to practice? And of course, you know, they, 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 they knew the answer. The answer, what's natural ability, you know, can get us some of the way there. Actually, the most important factor is a person's willingness to practice. It's self-discipline. How much we're willing to practice. The exercise, uh, the, the exercising and developing our gifts. You know, any great sportsman will talk about how many hours they spent alone, you know, practicing their sports, their trades. You know, David Beckham spending, uh, you know, hours alone in the back garden, hitting a ball against a wall, trying to find the right spot. You know, there's a phrase, isn't there? Train hard, win easy. And this might also apply to the Christian life. You know, in the, if in the quiet times, if in the times when uh, everything is going okay, if in the times when no one else is looking, we are consistently, day by day, sowing into our relationship with Jesus, then when the spiritual battle comes, it's easier to stand firm. And Paul urges Timothy to fan into flames, to rekindle, to exercise, to develop the gifts that God has given him. And we too are called to be self-disciplined and to exercise the gifts that God has given us. And so to close, where do we find the resources to live this life? The life of self-discipline, the life of love, the life of loving others, of sowing into friends and family. Where do we find the resources? Where do we find the power to, to pray with our children at the end of an exhausting day when all we want to do is just put them into bed? Where do we find the power to, to encourage a friend when we are weary ourselves? Well, the answer is never in our own strength. The answer is always in God's strength. It is a gift from God. God provides the power. God provides the love and God, uh, uh, God supplies the, the self-discipline that we need as followers of Jesus. And God gives us that gift through the Holy Spirit. As the closing verse of our passage today says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, God, but a spirit, a Holy Spirit of power, love and self-discipline. God has given us the Holy Spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit gives us power, love, and self-discipline to live as followers of Jesus, to live lives that make a difference. So let me encourage us now to stand, and we're going to pray. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and empower us, and then we're going to move into our final song of worship together.